The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Hey, I love dogs. Like, raise your hand if you're a fan of dogs. All right, good. Yeah, most of you are. Few of you are, no, I don't like them at all. Uh, so I, my first encounter with death actually was with a dog. I had a little dog named Toby, um, and he was run over by a car when I was probably five years old, and I, man, I can remember that day, like, man, I can remember everything about it, and I can remember looking at him, I can remember getting the news, I can remember my dad telling me, and oh, man, I just bawled and bawled, like, I, it just, it just blew me up, he was my little buddy, you know, it's a really early memory I had, um, so it's a great little dog, and I've had dogs my whole life, my dad always had dogs, and um, still have dogs today. And so I, I love dogs, but there, there are some dogs you got to watch out for. Um, so when I was about the same age, I think it was probably before um, that little dog that I had died, we were over at some uh, my mom and dad's friends, and they were, we were out in the backyard. I was a little bitty guy. This is one of my earliest memories. And, uh, <clears throat> and so we were in the backyard, and I needed to use the bathroom. And so uh, they told me just to go in. I knew where the bathroom was, so I went in. Well, they had a, they had a poodle. Now, I've kind of gotten over this a little bit where I like poodles, but for a long time in my life, poodles are evil dogs. Okay? And so they had this little white toy poodle, little bitty guy, man. I mean, little bitty guy. And so... But he, he didn't like me. Um, I don't think he liked any kids. And so it was fine if I was over there at this house and, and the people were present, but they sent me in the house to go to the bathroom. And I knew that dog was probably in there somewhere. And so I went in and I kind of looked. I knew where the bathroom was. I, and on my um, way, to, like I got to the bathroom, used the bathroom and everything, and I opened the door, man. <laughs> This thing, man, is showing his teeth. I am terrified. Now, you got to keep in mind, I'm like probably four. And I am screaming bloody murder for my mother. There is nobody in the house. I am trapped by a toy poodle thinking I'm going to die, you know. And finally, they came in and, and they rescued me. Um, another experience I had uh, with a dog in 1998, um, Back in Oklahoma, I ran for the Oklahoma State House of Representatives. And so I had this unique district that I was running in, knocked a lot of doors. And part of my, um, part of my district was in the urban core. Uh, part of it um, was in this rural area. It was a really strange district. And it was kind of a dangerous place, both places, to, to go and, and knock doors. But I was in the rural area, and I had to have a buddy drive me around because people didn't live right next door to each other. So to kind of connect with some of the voters, he was driving me and just sitting for, waiting for me, and I would go up to the house and talk. And so we got to this one house. I knew this was a good voter, and so I needed to make connection with him, you know. And so I opened the gate, and I go in, and I, and knock on the door, and nobody answers the door, and I knock again, and nobody answers the door, and so I'm like, well, they either don't want to talk to me, or they're not home, and so I proceed to walk back around um, to my truck, and as I'm headed back toward my truck, woof, like this was not a toy poodle, and I turned and looked around the corner, man, and all I saw was black and big in a full sprint, 
And I started running as hard as I could. And I'm running toward the gate, and I can tell, I'm not looking back. I can just tell he's getting closer. And I'm running as fast as I can, and I get to the gate. Man, I, I can see my buddy. <laughs> he's, in, he's driving my truck, driving me around, looking at the whole thing happen, and he's just hitting the steering wheel, dying laughing. <laughs> and I make it through, man, and, he, and I turn around, and this dog is just, and I go, oh, thank you, Lord, man. I, I made it. And so here's the deal is there are some dogs that want to oppose you. While there are a lot of good dogs out there, there are some dogs that want to oppose you. And that's going to make sense why I'm talking about that here when we get to the end. Because when when it comes to the Lord and comes to being a part of the kingdom, like the Lord is advancing his kingdom. That's what we've been learning about in this entire series. And how do we as, as human beings participate in that. Once we come into the kingdom, that's, that's the most important part, is we got to come into the kingdom and enter by spiritual birth. And once the Lord does a work in our lives, um, then the thing is, is there's an opposition to this kingdom. There always has been. Even before Christ, as God was working, um, before he came to the planet in the form of Christ, he was working, and there was opposition in the kingdom uh, with we know the story of Adam and Eve, and there, there was a fighting against the kingdom in that. And we go through the Old Testament, and we see lots of different experiences uh, or examples of people <clears throat> in leadership positions and, and different things fighting against the will of God. And so when we get to the New Testament, um, we've got, we got another family that do, do that. And we, we get in even after the New Testament, you've got uh, people like Frederick Nietzsche who despised Christianity. Like he despised it. But what's interesting about a lot of these people, famous people like that, is this, he ends up insane, right? Um, Ernest Hemingway uh, touted and, and believed that he was a living proof that one um, could oppose and fight against God. But then he puts a shotgun to his head and kills himself, right? So that's not very good proof uh, about fighting against God. So when we get to the New Testament, we got this family called the Herods. And so when you read about the Herods, you'll see King Herod, Herod the Great, all these different Herods. And, and so they, they were a family that fought against God. Like Herod the Great, during the time of Jesus' birth, if you remember, he, uh, the wise men came and, and, and they found out that like, he, sent them, he wanted a, a report from them uh, about the, who was this infant king. And they didn't go back and give him the report. And he knew he was born in this certain period of time. So he went through and he killed all of the babies in fantasy that were born during that period of time. And so he was fighting against God. And then we have another Herod um, that I think was his brother. Uh, forgive me. Give me some grace if I'm wrong. But he was uh, the Herod that uh, remember John the Baptist like was going after him because he was married to his sister-in-law. And, um, and so, uh, like he, I guess he took his brother's wife or something of that nature. But anyway, um, so he has John the Baptist beheaded. Remember that? And so he's of that family. Well, the Herod we come to today is the grandson of that first Herod that did the, the, the infanticide. And he is a guy who, he's, he's an interesting character because he had a leadership position um, he sort of got crossways with the Roman leadership. He ran up a lot of debts. He finds himself that he can't pay them back, and so he has to flee. Then he ends up in jail, and um, the, the guy who puts him in jail dies, and one of his friends, Caligula, 
he becomes a, a person of influence, and he's able to get him out of prison and get him a new territory. And so he's, he's got a bad reputation already as a leader. And he, he's trying to connect with the Jewish people. And he, he, like, participates in Judaism. Like, he goes to the temple. He does the things that Jewish people are supposed to do. And he's trying to win over their favor. Uh, because he's, he's needing to kind of get some success. And so he, he uses his flesh to gain favor. So when we pick this story up in chapter 12, um, and I think I'm just going to retell the story, and you can read it. I know it pretty well, I think, and, and uh, try to give you the details, and then I'm going to give you some application about it. But when we left la- off last week, what we had is we were in Antioch, okay? And the church was spreading among the Gentiles in the city of Antioch. And so they had this famine and money is sent back to Jerusalem. And so Luke takes the time to say, hey, man, there's still stuff going on back in Judea, okay? And so he says, at this time, during the time of the famine, that's how the, the story starts in, in Acts chapter 12, he says that he starts to talk about Herod. And, and, and he says that he had arrested um, James. He had arrested James, uh, the, one of the sons of thunder. This is John's brother. So he arrests John, and, and he has him there, and he ends up executing him, having him executed in the prison, cuts his head off with a sword. And then he didn't know this, but the, the Jews, because of what was going on back in Jerusalem with, with the church and the, the, the fighting, remember, we're kind of at a time of peace. Man, that's all about the shift now. Because he saw that the, this pleased the Jewish leadership. And so when he saw that that happened, man, he, he, had a, he put a scheme together. Now just imagine, again, we, we see the church going through these experiences um, when we think in times of uh, going through tough times. This is our first apostle that is killed. As a matter of fact, he is the only apostle that is martyred for his faith that there's a record of it in Scripture. And we see, we know that all of them were, we have the early church fathers and different sources that we could look how they were killed. And only uh, John, the revelator, is the one who dies a natural death. Um, and so we, we see that happening. But, but here, the apostles, man, like when you're having a bad day, like I tell people this like a lot, is like at least you still have your head. Because they cut this guy's head off, man. Like he's one of the original apostles, one of the sons of thunder. He saw the uh, uh, transfiguration of Jesus, and he is arrested, and his head is cut off simply because he is a follower of Jesus. And so when Herod sees this, man, and he sees that the Jewish people, man, they're, they're fired up about this. He's gaining some popularity. And so he like, is like, I got an idea. This would be brilliant. I'm going after the chief one. I'm going after Peter. And so he arrests Peter. Now, it's during the time of unleavened bread, so there's this, this festival going on. And there are a lot of people um, in town. And so he's looking at it going, how can I capitalize on this, have me a little campaign put together, and, and get out there and, and like just increase my image among the people? That would be good for me. And so he has Peter arrested, and he's waiting for this feast to be over. And his intent is, is that he's going to bring Peter out. Instead of executing him in the prison, he's going to bring him out in public. He's going to have this big trial. He's going to get all the people to come, and then he's going to execute him out in public. That's how dire the situation is. And so Peter is in prison, and the church is where it ought to be, in prayer. 
They are fervently praying. It says they're praying earnestly uh, for the Lord to intervene because they know what has happened to James. Now Peter is locked up. His death is impending. And they, the, if the Lord, there's nothing they could do. They've already worked all of their resources. So they're at their, their wits end and they're just falling before the Lord, calling upon him to intervene to spare Peter so that they would have him available as a leader in the church. And so as they're praying, it says that, um, um, so you got the church over here, they're praying in different groups, and especially right there in, in town, and you've got Peter locked up in prison, and Herod has him surrounded by four uh, squadrons of four guards. So there's 16 people who are responsible for Peter, and they got him way back in the, 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 the prison. They do not want him getting out. And so Peter is there. He's about to be executed the next day. He knows that's probably what's coming. He's locked up. He's in between another soldier. He's got chains on him. And guess what he's doing? Sleeping like a baby. Just let that set in a minute. Because there are things that will rattle us and get us out of bed, and all of a sudden we can't sleep. Here's a guy who is locked up in prison. He knows he's about to be executed. He's on a cold prison cell floor, and he's just sleeping like a baby. And I think that's connected again to his walk, obviously, with the Lord and the church praying earnestly for him. And so he's sleeping so well that, that God intervenes, and he answers the church's prayer. And he sends an angel. And an angel shows up in the prison. And probably, uh, kind of, I don't know what, exactly what was going on with the guards, but something probably similar to what happened when Jesus rose from the dead. And Peter is so asleep that the angel has to kind of strike him on the side and wake him up. And I'm reminded of, of my kids, man. This is, this is where Peter's at, okay? Like, he kind of wakes up and he's coming out of it. And, you know, if your kids... Like, we have all of our children, you know, and we have the upstairs, and, um, you know, your kids fall asleep, and you take them to bed and put them in their beds. Well, they started to get bigger, you know. And Abby would say, I need you to take Caitlin or to take Zoe up to her room and put her in bed. And I'm saying, I ain't carrying that kid up there, man. Did you pick Caitlin up? She weighs more than Jonah. Like, she is solid. And so I don't pick them up. Like I believe, I firmly believe that one of the best things you can do for your children is you can teach them to be independent. Like as soon as, as, soon as you can find anything in their lives that they can be independent with, you need to teach them how to do it and do it on their own. And so I'm like, they fell asleep on the couch. They need to figure out how to get upstairs. So I rouse them. Hey, hey, Caitlin. You got to get up. You got to go to your bed. You can't sleep here. You won't be comfortable. <sighs> and so I get them up, man. And I'm telling you, they're sleeping to the stairs. And I'm walking them, and sometimes they fall back. But finally, I get them started up the stairs, and they make it up the stairs, and they realize they're awake. That's where Peter was at, man. Like he, just, he, he doesn't realize he's awake. He had such a good sleep that um, the angel has to rouse him. His chains fall off. He's lead, being led through the, the prison. They come to the gate. The gate opens up, and it, does, it says that finally he gets outside the prison, and the, the angel just disappears, and it dawns on him, I'm not having a dream here. This is really happening. And he's awake, and he looks around, and he, he's probably pinching himself a little bit, thinking, man, what am I going to do now? Those guys are going to come after me. 
And so he says, well, I'll go to Mary's house. And so he goes to Mary's house, and on his way, he gets over there to Mary's house. And, and they're in there, man. They're down in there with the Lord, and they're praying, oh, Lord, please intervene and save Peter and, and like, help him, Lord. What are we going to do? He's the leader of our church, man. we got to have Peter. And so he's knocking on the door, and this girl, Rhoda, she comes out to the door, and she says, uh, who's there? It's me, Peter. <gasps> and she runs back in, and she doesn't even open the door. She runs back, and she tells him, Peter's at the door. Peter's at the door. And they stop their prayer and they look and say, you're out of your mind. That's what they say. You're crazy. She says, no, it's him. I'm telling you. Oh, it's not him. You probably heard it. It's probably his angel. And the Jewish had kind of this belief, some of the Jews had in their background that, that everybody had an angel. Some scholars think that maybe it was a messenger from Peter that they were saying. But, but anyway, um, no doctrine there for everybody has a guardian angel. You might be surprised that the scripture doesn't teach that. Did you know that? All that time you were saying, oh, it's my guardian angel. The scripture doesn't teach that. The scripture says that there are legions of angels. And so you might have more than one angel looking for, out for you at a time, okay? I'll take that. Amen. Um, and so, so, so they're like, man, like, you, you've lost your mind. So no, Peter, he's still knocking, all right? And so they come to the door. All right, now imagine these people, they've been praying. And they, the, the girl has reported that Peter is at the door. That's what they've been asking the Lord to intervene on Peter's behalf. Now they're, the girl's saying, Peter's at the door. They're saying, you're crazy. They didn't see, they didn't understand. Like, even though they were expecting God to do something and begging him to do something, when he did it, it was hard for them to accept. And, and so they go to the door, man. And when they get to the door, they open it up. Now, so just imagine one of them probably got a personality like Shay's, right? They get to the door, and he's like, Woo! What's up, man? It is the Lord! Right? <laughs> And, and Peter's like, shh, like they're going to be looking for me. It's the middle of the night. So he gets them quieted down. He tells them the story, man. They're, they're so fired up. And he says, listen, I need you to go back and report to James. And you say, well, I thought James was dead. Didn't you say they killed him? And this is a different James. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. He's not James, the apostle. But he is now... He saw Jesus in his resurrected form, and he has become a believer, and he has taken a significant role in the Jerusalem church. Kind of everybody, uh, uh, historically speaking, he sort of has an administrative role. Let James know what is going on, man. And, and so he tells him the story of how he got out, and then he leaves, okay? And so in the morning, like, Herod wakes up, and there's no small commotion going on in the prison. And so back at the prison, man, when morning arises and they see that Peter's gone, they are like freaking out, man. They're like, what are we going to do? Because anytime you had um, uh, an assignment if, uh, of a prisoner, if that prisoner got away from you, whatever was his sentence was now yours. And it was execution. And so they're scrambling around the prison looking for him. The report makes it back to Herod. Herod can't find him. He does a search for him as well. So nobody can find Peter. And so he calls the um, guards forward. He cross-examines them. They can't put a story together that he likes, and you know what he does? He kills them all. All 16 of them die, okay? And so then it says that he leaves there, and he goes to Caesarea. And so he's upset. So here you got this guy, Herod, who's trying to take advantage of a situation. He's using his flesh. He's doing everything in his power to build his image, to build his brand, to, to be respected among the people. And he has the opportunity, and he's very ticked off because it all falls apart. And so now he just leaves, and he goes to Caesarea. 
Well, back in Caesarea, there's a group that he is um, responsible for that he's implemented some sanctions on, some citizens from Tyre and um, Sidon. And so because of the sanctions, they were crippled, man. They needed food because they depended on um, this this leader and and this region for their food. So they secure an ear with Blastus, who is a friend uh, or the servant of, of King Herod, and they get him to get a meeting with them. And they are negotiate terms, and they strike a deal. They make peace with them so that they can eat. And so Herod is looking at this, and he's going, man, this, this is an opportunity for me. He says, all right, let's make peace. And then he sets up this experience where he's going to have them all come, and they're all going to listen to his speech. He's going to give a speech, and he's going to announce that peace has been established. And so um, he, he's in the middle of this speech. And as they all come together, and he's given the speech, we don't know exactly what he's saying, um, all of a sudden he's stricken with a pain. And the scripture says that he is eaten by worms and he dies. Boom. Okay. Let's go, wow, what's going on there? And then it says, but the word of God in verse 24 continued to increase and spread. And then he ends with, when Barnabas and Saul had finally finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. And so you got this thing going on here um, with, with Herod, which is who I really want to focus in on. I want to make some observations about this. Like, well, that's, that's a pretty cool story. What, what all is going on there? I'm going to explain some of it to you, and we'll dig down a little deeper. But here, here's the first thing we need to take away from this. Kingdom power is available, Okay. So here's the deal. It's futile. It's foolish to fight against this power. Like some of you are doing it. Some of you are fighting against this kingdom power with the way you're living your life. How do you know that? Because I fought against it. Like I fought against it for years. And when the Lord finally got a hold of me and I kind of came to a place where the Lord literally brought me to my knees because he loved me that much and I was in rebellion and he brought me to my knees, and I looked at it, and I, like, when I finally understood how much Jesus loved me, and it dawned on me, I was like, what am I doing with my life? Why am I living this way? Why am I, why do I say that I believe in Jesus, but when I live my life, Jesus is like, he's the last person I consult. He's the last individual that I think about. I'm just living my life and wanting Jesus to be a part of it so that if I die, I go to heaven. That's kind of the way I was living. And I was living against and fighting against the power that was available to me. And so what happened is I shifted. And I started going, if that power is available, then that power can be utilized and I can access it and use it to accomplish the will of God for my life. And so when I made that decision, guess what happened? Well, guess what? The first thing to invade my life in a supernatural way upon making that decision was joy. Like joy. Like, I mean, the Lord came into me and the the peace and the joy that I experienced in that moment, I couldn't quit smiling. And so here I am, like 28 years later, and I still have that joy. Like, as a matter of fact, it even increases. Like, it, it just moves, like the Lord has just moved on me. And why is that? It's because instead of fighting against the power, I started seeking the power and realizing it was available. The only way I can seek the power, now here's a, here's a problem. You can't seek the power unless you give Jesus the keys to your life. 
You can't say, Lord, I need your power to do this so that I can do whatever I want to do. That's not how the kingdom works. Like Jesus said, our Father which art in heaven. When you pray, our Father which art in heaven, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Lord, give me bread for today. Like, so what does that mean? Was Jesus saying pray that exact prayer every time? No, he's saying, look, this is the way the kingdom works. And when you pray, pray for provision so that you could be focused on the kingdom. Okay? So if you're praying for the provision of God and you're focused on your kingdom, the power is not available to you. But if you're focused on his kingdom, remember this. I'm reminded by Jesus saying, seek ye first the kingdom of Christ, and then these things shall be added to you. So what we do is we try to get the things added while we're seeking our kingdom, and it never works. We have to first seek the kingdom of Christ, and then the stuff will be added to us. And so the kingdom power is available, and we have to seek it, but the only way it will become ours is if our focus is on what Jesus wants us to do with our lives, not what we want to do with our lives. So how does it come? It comes through communication. Verse 5 says, earnestly. They prayed earnestly. Peter was kept in prison, it says, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him, okay? This is the Greek word um, ektenos, or it's actually ektenes, which is a, is a form of that same word, and it means, like, one of the meanings for it, I've been in physical therapy, thank you to those of you who have been asking about my knee. It's fine, man, right? But he's, he, takes my, he takes my knee, and he's been t- teaching me these stretches. And so in this ektenos, or ektenes, it's stretching a muscle to its limits, okay? So as they're talking about prayer, it's the same word that's used of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's stretching the muscle, the spiritual muscle of prayer to its limits. Now, when you stretch, especially the older you get, the more pain you can experience in a stretch as it's pulling and sort of returning to its proper place. And so you're, you're experiencing some difficulty in there. Why? To experience greater freedom physically. That's the way prayer is. That's the way communicating with the Lord is, is that you have to overcome yourself not wanting to spend time in prayer and stretch that prayer muscle so that the freedom of the Lord will, will like be poured out in your life. And so we, what we do is we keep excusing ourselves. And we keep saying, well, I don't have time to sit with the Lord. I don't have time to be in the Word. I don't have time. So we, what we end up with is we end up with a lot of spiritual back pain, okay? A lot of you guys, you may be going around thinking that you have back pain, and really what's going on is what I've learned in all of this physical therapy. <laughs> I guess I'm getting into the medical business now. So anyway, uh, is that you, what, what happens is your, your nerves are not stretched to the right length, and so it causes pain in your back. Man, I'm going to tell you guys something. There's this really cool stretch you can do. You lay on your back. It's called a nerve glide. Stick your leg way up in the air. Like, just hold it up like you were in a 90-degree angle with your leg. Hold your knee and just push your toes out as far as you can and then pull them back like that. Do that about 10 times and get up, and you will be shocked at how much better you feel in your leg. And so that's what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know why I'm talking about this outside of uh, this word. That's what, that's what prayer is. You say, I don't want to do the nerve glide. That's called a nerve glide. I don't have time to do the nerve glide. I've got chores to do, people to see, things to do at the house, hobbies to engage in, and I do not have time to be laying on my back doing some silly thing with my foot like this right here. 
All right? So I didn't do it this morning. Guess what? My knee hurts a little bit right now. I did it last week. I went upstairs by myself, laid on my back and did that, and all through the sermon, which is when I have the most problem with my knee is when I'm, I'm standing in one spot like I'm doing right now teaching. And so if I take time to do the nerve glide, I enjoy my life more. If I take time to sit with the Lord and do my prayer time, I enjoy my life more. Like, because I'm talking to the Father. And so, um, like this week, man, let me tell you about this experience. I, I'm just sitting with the Lord, and, and, and this doesn't happen in every time I sit with the Lord. But, man, I was, I, was, I was praying, I was talking to the Lord, and he gave me freedom. I was able to talk to him about some really bold requests that I knew, like, he was just funneling through me. And, and man, like, I just wept before the Lord. Like, I, I got to a point where I couldn't even, I couldn't even talk. And the tears were just flowing. And, and they were tears of joy, man. As the, like, what, what, I think what's happening when you get to that point, when you're meeting with the Lord and you have no words and it's inexpressible, the Lord is saying to us, be quiet a little for a minute. I'm going to put some stuff in you. And, and, and man, that was just, just an incredible experience. And so that's how the power is accessed. Like it's not accessed by you coming to church. It's taught about when you come to church. And you learn about it, and you're challenged. Here's the power. It's available. It's available to all of us, but we have to access it. And so I think um, this is why Peter was sleeping like a baby while he was in prison. He had the ultimate freedom. Okay? So what, do you, what should you do? Let me tell you what I do. When I'm, sometimes you have that experience, and you wake up in the middle of the night, and you're like, man, you're worried, and you can't get back to sleep. What do you do? I'll tell you what I do. I get up out of bed. I walk to a different place in the house, and I go and I kneel down and I, and a, at a chair. And I say, Lord, like, I'm worried about this, and I shouldn't be worried about it. Your word teaches me that you give sleep. I'm reminded of Peter, Lord, that he slept in prison. And, and right now the enemy's trying to convince me that I'm in prison and I need you to teach me that I'm free. And when I go back in there, Lord, would you help me just to fall asleep? And I leave it there in the chair and I go back and I get in bed and I fall asleep. Okay? So that's, that's the thing, man, is the Lord is there for us in that way. And so that's accessing the kingdom uh, power that is available. And we can access it in all kinds of ways. When we're interacting with our friends, when we're looking for a way, um, <clears throat> some of you guys that have been released to disciple, why do I lean in and say, man, come on, get out there and make some disciples? Because I'm wanting you to experience these things that I'm experiencing. You can't experience them unless you put yourself in a situation where you are totally dependent upon Jesus like Peter was. And that's why he's seeing the miraculous stuff. And as long as we are totally in control of our lives and not getting out of our comfort zone and everything is comfortable and cozy, guess what? We're not experiencing the kingdom power because we don't need it. Like We just don't need the power because we're managing everything fine on our own. So first thing, kingdom power is available. Second thing, kingdom glory is the king's. This is really important. Why did Herod want to kill Peter? Did he not like Peter? Was he frustrated by what Peter was doing? No, Herod wanted to kill Peter because he was seeking glory for himself. He wasn't concerned about the things of the kingdom of God. <laughs> the irony is Peter was in prison and he was free. Herod was free, but he was in prison because he was trying to live a lie. He was trying to build his own image. And so we look at this and we go, okay, man, like what happens? We talked a little bit about this last week when someone does us wrong, when we're wronged by someone 
And what do we do in that situation? Do we try to just go and get even? No, we leave it in the hands of the Lord because we know that the Lord will fight for us. Um, Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who? No one. Okay? And so this is how God gets glory in our lives. And I would say, woe to the person who messes with the king's kids, like Kara did. Okay? So woe to that individual. Make sure that God is getting glory for your life. So let me tell you this story about Josephus. Josephus is a Jewish historian. Okay, he's not a Christian. He writes about Herod's death. And this is the stuff we pick up from Josephus' writings. He says that on the appointed time when this thing was happening, where he was meeting with the citizens of Tyre and Sidon, that he had a silver robe made. And he... Um, had it, all of the citizens were to come out at sunrise. And he got into his position where he was going to speak from. And as he was speaking, that he, the sun began to come up and crest, and the rays of the sun hit that silver, okay? And he started shining. And he knew that was going to happen. He and his cohorts, they had kind of thought this thing up. And as he's speaking with these citizens who really didn't like him, they were just saying what he wanted to hear, they start chanting, the voice of God, not of man. The voice of God, not of man. And so he doesn't correct them. He doesn't stop them from saying that. And, and that's, that's also Luke tells us that. And so in that moment, Josephus says he looks up and he sees an owl. And an owl was known as a, a bad omen. And at the moment that he sees the owl and the people are chanting the voice of God and not a man, a sharp pain hits him. Okay? And he dies a few days later. So what happened to Herod? Well, um, he was, when it says he was eaten by worms, what does that mean? Well, it's the Greek term skolakobertos. Skolakobertos. All right? And it means the head structure of a tapeworm. Okay, so Herod's death was due to a rupture of a cyst caused by tapeworms. And people would get so sick during this time, sometimes they would vomit these things up. Okay, and so they knew what he died of. So when it says he was eaten by worms, it doesn't mean, oh, they were standing there looking, and all of a sudden, all these worms showed up, and they ate him. That's not what happened. The guy was infected with tapeworms. Now, what, the most common tapeworm in that area where, is a dog tape because it was an area where sheep were raised. So how does a human being get infected by uh, a dog tapeworm? Well, this is how it works. The sheep serves as the host. So the sheep is the host of the tapeworm. And then the dog eats some contaminated meat from the sheep. And after the dog eats the contaminated meat, he gets the tapeworm, and usually he, tr he transfers it to the human because he has fecal matter on his fur, and the human pets him. So what's the takeaway? The takeaway, it, it, with all of that gory details, right? Who's hungry? <laughs> the takeaway is, be sure that Jesus is getting the glory of your life because you never know when a hound of hell is going to pass your way and infect you with something that is destructive. So we go back to the power. We go back to surrender. We go back to what am I living my life for? And we think, well, there's plenty of time. You don't know that. My, my cousin called me this week, and he got a report. He was on a treadmill last week. He got a report. He may not live another week. Like, you don't know how much time you have. 
And if you keep messing around with the Lord and he's trying to get your attention, he's wondering, when are you going to come to a point where you will bow the knee to me, you will come into my kingdom, you will surrender to me, and your life will become about me and not you anymore? When do you come to that place? Because it is dangerous to keep putting it off and putting it off. Not only is it dangerous, you're living a life that is not nearly as enjoyable as the life you could be living. I stand as a witness. I testify that I've tried to live that other life, and it is not as enjoyable. Like, walking with Jesus is an incredible experience. And so know that kingdom power is available, kingdom glory is the king's, and then finally, kingdom purposes cannot be stopped. Okay? Like the, the word of God continued to increase and spread. So I would say to you as we wrap this thing up, the Lord has a plan for his church and nothing can stop it. Okay? Nothing can stop it. The Lord has a plan for the world and he uses people to accomplish it. And then the third thing is that the Lord has a plan for you if you will join him. He won't force you. That's the, this is the whole like the whole idea of so- divine sovereignty, God working, and man's free will. And so he allows you to choose to be a part of that. And that's why he says to you in all of the teachings of Jesus, he says, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. Go there first. If you will go there, if you lose your life, you'll find it. If you die to yourself, you truly will live. Anybody who's tasted the water of the eternal water of life, it will become a spring welling up in you, and others will drink freely from the fountain that is being created in you by Jesus as you're seeking him, and he's getting glory from your life. So here's here's the big idea. Real simple. You won't beat the king. No one will beat the king. Sometimes it looks that way. Sometimes it looks like people who are just, they're being so evil, and it just looks like, Nobody beats the king. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And those who are getting the most movement and freedom in their lives are the ones who willingly and knowingly like announce that Jesus is king of my life. Jesus is Lord. And so there's no fear of when we will bow before him in the future because we've already bowed before him in the present. And we've come to know him as Savior and Lord. And this is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Watch out for folks who are playing around with Jesus. And make sure that you're interacting with good dogs. Because there are a lot of bad dogs out there. And they will keep you from the kingdom. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. What is the Lord saying to you from the word today? Acts chapter 12. Is the king getting glory in your life? Have you surrendered to him? Do you know him? Like that's what it's all about. Are you fighting and opposing the creator of the universe? What a joy it is to yield to him. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.